New Zealand Young Professionals Podcast, hosted by Ed McKnight and brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. Hello and welcome along to the New Zealand Young Professionals Podcast. I am your host, Ed McKnight, and today down the line we have Michaela Aspel, who is the Canterbury Young Professionals Secretary. Hi, Ed. And uh, just to talk a little bit about what we're doing here today, quite often at the, any of the young professionals organisations, we have established business leaders who come along and share their experience and share their knowledge. Uh, but Michaela and I were talking just before we started recording that it is sometimes just as value to hear, valuable to hear the stories and the experience of other young professionals who are going through similar issues uh, in exactly the same context, so political and social and technological context, which is today. And so I'm really keen to hear a little bit about Michaela's story. She's a, um, a female engineer, which is uh, incredibly rare these days. She moved down to Christchurch six days before the uh, February Canterbury earthquake in 2011. And uh, Canterbury Young Professionals are doing some amazing things. So I'm very keen to hear about all of these. Cool. It's great to um, be talking to you, Ed, to share um, everything that's going on down here and, and what I've been through. Awesome. So I, I just want to first of all go back to 2011, where you, we had the uh, the February Canterbury earthquake, and you moved there six days before before it all happened. Yeah. So I moved down from Wellington um, to go to the uh, engineering school in Canterbury. I started at um, College House, so uh, sort of one of the main halls in at Canterbury. And yeah, six days before the earthquake, sort of uh, moved from home, moved down here and had one day of university and was on my way to my fourth lecture, I think it was, uh, when the, the February earthquake happened. So what? What? So it, the, I imagine the earth starts shaking. I've never been in, a, a, you know, I've never experienced an earthquake, so I have no idea what it's like. But oh, what, what do you do? What goes through your mind at that point? You know, yeah. your second day at uni? Uh, it was it was quite weird actually, and I still think back, and it's just quite bizarre because so I was walking to uni and I was outside, which was um, I'd never sort of been outside. And coming from Wellington, you know, I grew up with earthquakes, um, nothing to to that extent, of course. And I was outside, and the the earth, I just remember like as just like waves, just sort of rolling across the field. And my first initial thought was just so bizarre. I literally just thought that I was in a snow globe, and a giant had just picked up the snow globe and was shaking it because that's sort of what it felt like. Wow. And that was literally my initial thought. And then um, I just met a girl from my hall. So we sort of clung to each other and um, yeah, just, oh, it just, yeah, it was really, really bizarre actually. And I did, we didn't understand the extent of the damage. Um, went back to the hall and, and Canterbury university is sort of, uh, it's about 10 minutes drive west of the city centre and the damage there, um, there was still a lot of damaged buildings, things like that, but it was nothing to the extent of what the eastern parts of the city and the city centre went through. And so we were all sort of sitting outside um, listening to the radio and then, you know, getting reports that buildings had collapsed and people had died and just the true, like, just the true sheer scale of the disaster. And it was, yeah. And do you remember... Um, you know, um, when you first called your parents or when they called you to talk to you about it? Because I imagine they would, they would be thinking, what have we, you know, what have we done <laughs> sending, yeah. sending, our, sending our kid um, off to a city and then six days later, you know, devastation happens? 
Yeah, my parents uh, naturally worry quite a lot. Um, <laughs> I think and, that's all parents. Say. Yes, yeah, yeah, fair enough. And no, they were they were very worried. They were very concerned. We had a family friend um, down here. Uh, my dad's sort of kind of cousin, I think. It's a bit confusing. So she lives about forty minutes away, and um, they wanted me to go stay with her that night straight away. And I, I wanted to stay in my hall. I just sort of met all these new people, and it was, you know, I think as you do when you're eighteen, it was sort of like, oh, this is a, a good, you know, bonding experience. We'll get through this together, sort of thing. So I stayed uh, at the hall um, that night, and then the next day, when I stayed with our family friend. Um, but I remember being on the phone to my parents and they were just being like, get out, you know, you have to leave, you have to go now. And it was like, well, you know, I'm here, like, it's okay, I'm going to be all right. But yeah, I think they were very worried and very confused too. It was, it was quite hard going home. So what happened was that there was a, the initial earthquake and then um, the aftershocks, there were some quite large aftershocks. And so once the actual earthquake happened and we went back to uni, we were allowed back inside. And I remember my whole house of like 14 people decided to watch a movie together in a small room, uh, which is not a good idea after a very large earthquake. And the next, the, the, the biggest aftershock happened and we were all in this room and just everyone just looked at each other. Um, it was just like... <laughs> swearing and, and diving under the table and after that we weren't allowed back inside um, and then that night we were allowed to sleep in our rooms only on the on the ground floor uh, and then there was about oh there must have been hundreds of aftershocks that night so just no one really slept all night because you just kept getting woken up sort of every 15 minutes with another earthquake uh, and then so that the next night I went to stay with a family friend and then got on a plane Wow. And went home, and uni was cancelled for three weeks, um, understandably. Uh, and But my parents were very confused when I got home. They couldn't quite – I reckon it would be – I think back now it would be very hard to comprehend sort of what everyone's been through. And, and it's almost to the extent that I'm only realising now how sort of the earthquake has infected me or um, – impacted on other people's lives uh but i went home and my parents sort of didn't understand they were like you're you know you're you're still alive your building didn't collapse you know why are you so upset and it took them quite a few days to realize that you know it didn't matter that uh, i wasn't in a building that collapsed and um i wasn't physically hurt or anything but just going through an experience like that especially you know just having just moved um city is, is actually can be quite traumatizing that's amazing, and I even yeah. I even remember because I back in two thousand eleven that was my first year at uni as well, and I remember seeing um, some of the shots of the university and and right throughout the center of Christchurch, and it, it, you just can't really comprehend it not not being there because no. we're so used to seeing this kind of stuff, uh, this kind of devastation on TV, but it's always somewhere else. It's yeah. it's it's never it's it's not often here. You know, it'll be in um, Haiti or it'll be, um, you know, in a, in, a, in a country that's not your typical developed um, Western society. Yeah. And then you see it, see that happen and you're like, wow, like it, it, there's, no, there's no discrimination between cities. It can happen anywhere. No, it can happen anywhere at any time. And I mean, even looking at the footage, because I wasn't actually in the city centre, so, if, you know, I didn't see it the extent of the damage that they were showing on TV. Um, and I think there was also another thing talking to my parents. They were just seeing what was on TV, which was just this sheer you know, disaster in the middle of the city and also couldn't understand that actually where we were out at uni, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I, my, my experience is not as 
I don't think quite as bad as you know. Obviously, a lot of people have had in the city centre, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's no, it's an interesting thing, and it's really really interesting um, watching the city sort of grow because I only knew it. You know, I'd only been to Christchurch sort of once before I moved down. I'd been in the city centre twice uh, before. I managed to have one night out in, in town in Christchurch. <laughs> it <was a> <laughs> I hope it was a great night out as well. It was a pretty good night, yeah. <laughs> it, it's quite funny, sort of. Uh, there's a street, New Regent Street, and it's I think a few, couple of years ago it was finally sort of reopened. It's got quite a few little quaint buildings. And then I realised that that night out we'd all sort of ended up there and um, with everyone, and I was sort of thinking back to to how different it was. I'm sort of recognising places now. I think now that city's back, um, you know, back up and running. There's new buildings, things like that, and recognising places uh, that I that I went to before the earthquake, or you know, spots that I went to before the earthquake, and thinking how different they are now. And uh, I imagine that as um, the Canterbury Young Professionals, there'd be a great opportunity there to um, input into what the city could be and how the city uh, could be designed um, to, to include y- your perspectives because young professionals tend to have a longer time horizon given that we might be in a city for 40, 50 years rather than some, some of the more experienced decision makers, I guess, who might be around for another 10 to 20. Um, you know, what... What input has have you guys put in, or young professionals in general, um, put in for the city's redesign? Um, I'm not like completely sure on on that front. You know, I do know that um, in terms of the decision making that's been happening in Christchurch, it's been a very long and lengthy process, as you've probably seen things like the, uh, the Christchurch Cathedral. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is there's a strong there's a, a strong sort of um, a young professionals community down here, and a lot of people, you know, are, are working in the rebuild space, um, in architecture or, or engineering, things like that. The extent to to the actual planning, I, I actually couldn't um, mm-hmm. tell you that the um, extent um, into the actual design that, that young professionals have inputted, but I'm sure that it's it's would be considerable because. Um, I mean, it'd be silly not to sort of consider what our generation needs. And they've, they've taken into consideration even things as young as, you know, like primary school students is the Margaret Mayhew playground, and that's been designed with the help of actual children, um, you know, 10-year-olds. And I think it was sort of 4,000 kids had, had input into what they wanted a playground to look like. Um, and out of us come like a really cool sort of playground that's really busy and um, things like that. So that's really cool. Yeah. I I was just at the Auckland War Memorial Museum a couple of weeks back, and that had a little competition for um, primary school kids within Auckland to design the museum of the future. And some of the oh. some of the ideas that that come out um, from kids, I think, is they're, they're so valuable because they primary school kids have no uh, assumptions about the world or no assumptions about how things are. And because they haven't necessarily experienced what we've experienced, which is the way it's always been, they can come out with completely new ideas. And that probably speaks to the diversity piece as well about how do you include, um, you know, diverse, completely different ideas so that you don't get into the same pattern of always doing things the way that they always have been. Yeah. And I think that's a big one. As young professionals, or, you know, younger members of the workforce, I think it can be quite easily, you know, looked over from 
the older generation, you know, the the white male baby boomers, if you know, if you will, um, you know, they've got the experience, but with that becomes a more narrowed way of looking at things, mm. and it is noticeable because I reckon it's considering someone's perspective when they've just um, started a company or they they see things how they really are, or and the way they see them doesn't mean it's it's that's not right because they don't have the experience, but mm. it just brings such a fresh perspective to things. Mm. I must admit, sometimes I feel a bit sorry for the old white um, male <laughs> baby boomers because I think, gosh, I'm a white male. In about, in about 40 years, there, there are going to be kids recording podcasts or whatever they're recording uh, in 40 years' time, and they're going to be bagging on me and my uh, contemporaries <laughs> thinking, saying, oh, those, those old white millennials, gosh, they can only yeah. see things their, their, their own way. But um, just, just on that same point, do you find that, you know, you're a female engineer, and I, I don't want to put you in that box, but... It, um, even at Auckland Uni, there were probably about 80% of the engineering students were male uh, yep. and you'd meet the occasional um, female engineer and it was, it was kind of like a, a big event. But do you, do you find now that you're in the workforce that you do approach things a different, a different way, you know, being both younger, um, younger and, and female? And female. Um, I, I think so. I think it's a very different um, – I think you end up with very different sort of career – being a female engineer and I mean there's uh, I think my career is probably you know everyone's does different things so I'm not sort of on site I've got um, female engineering friends who are sort of physically on site every day and um, I think that they have to work a lot harder to gain the respect of um, uh, of you know construction workers on site and things like that because when you're, uh, especially being a small female, you can get a lot of a lot of stereotypes and uh, people not taking you quite as seriously. Um, but in my company, so I work for Tonkin and Taylor, and we've actually got quite a good ratio of females here, um, which is quite nice. Um, it was the same sort of at uni. There was I actually got told the year before I started at university, and the lecturer was like, "Yeah, no, engineering is becoming really popular now. There's about 40% females." And then I sat down on my first lecture and looked around and was like, "Wow, this is not 40%. This is like- <laughs> Maybe 40% <laughs> of enrolments." Uh, and actually, that's kind of similar to I was having brunch the other day with my friend Sally, and I'm going to get her on the podcast as well because she's fantastic. Uh, and she works in infrastructure, so really, really heavy oh, yeah. um, telecommunications Mouth infrastructure. Dominated. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's quite similar to engineering, where your you know your stereotypical worker is that old, older uh, European male. Um, again, mm. not to back on them too much. Uh, and I said to <laughs> her, "What's it? <laughs> what's it like when you have to go in and and have a meeting, and you're the only female around the table, yeah. and you're 20 years younger?" And she said, "You know what? As long as I go in knowing my stuff." When I'm presenting to them, at the end of the day, usually they respect me by the end of it yeah. because they're big enough to to, to know uh, or yeah. realize that you know she knows her stuff. You know that's all that need that you need. As long as they're yeah. good, as long as they can hold their own, that's fine. Yeah, definitely it is. I mean, I think it's like that with anyone. Maybe initial thought. Um, you, you know, you might be initially stereotyped when you met when someone meets you or something like that but at the end of the day if you if you do a good job and, and you know what you're talking about uh, it doesn't matter what you look like who you are uh, people should respect that uh, and the same with someone who's older you know it doesn't necessarily mean they know what they're talking about it doesn't necessarily mean that they're, they're going to be respected um, in their opinion things like that mm, there's a, you know I see a lot in the in the media um, 
where they talk about why there aren't as many female engineers or, or mm-hmm. you know, female mathematicians and all of these more more technical um, subjects. Do you do you have any um, thoughts on on the reasons why? I know there's a, there's a couple of uh, hypotheses that have been suggested. Everything from that. Uh, the way way it's taught maths and the science subjects are taught in schools uh, are more male dominated. I mean, do you have any thoughts around there? I think it comes just from a really young age. Just, just it's sort of just not ingrained. I think in you know girls, young young girls, um, kids that um, that's like a good option. I was talking to. Uh, was I talking to, talking to a colleague and she said that at her school they they had you know engineering wasn't even discussed as an option really for for the um, them to study at, at school and I think uh, I think part of it is the way uh, the the mind I think that an, an engineer uh, requires is actually um, so ma- males tend to have a more engineering orientated brain, like the way um, they approach um, concepts and problems um, does actually tend itself better to engineering than maybe your typical female mind, um, which I think so part of it, it comes from that. I think part of it comes from the fact that, yeah, like, you know, I was I was young, I was given dolls and things like that. And, and my brother's, my brother had uh, Thomas the Tank Engine placed in. I used to go and like make him these like huge, big, intricate um uh, railway designs and then refused to let him touch them because I thought they were so, so good. <laughs> just, <laughs> so just, yeah, I mean. So I did you make him play a, with your dolls then? Uh, I, I used to dress them up in dresses actually. Yeah, dad put a stop to that. He was, a, he was quite a bit younger than me and dad quickly put a stop to that after four nights in a row and then he came up to him and was like, oh, so when are we like dressing up? And dad was like, no and, more dresses. And what's your, what's your brother doing now if I, if I can ask? Um, he's actually at his he's at his sixth year, um, or sixth form, sorry, um, at, at school, and he's coming to visit me next weekend because I'm really hoping that he'll he'll end up doing engineering. So he's quite interested in. Um, he loves building. He builds um, furniture, and I've got a clock at home that he made, and he's real hands on. And um, so I'm going to take him around uh, to the uni, show him around there, and uh, meet a few friends, things like that, and hopefully. Uh, inspire him to do engineering i was going to say you'd be um you'd be his inspiration i guess creating all of these uh intricate train designs and yeah. infrastructure <laughs> when you're when you're a kid yeah hopefully you know ingrained from a young age to look up to engineering and things like that well yeah, if, um, if if it does come back to how how we're taught and how we're raised and the, and the things mm. we're given as you know when we're kids um Say that there's somebody, you know, a young professional listening to this and they're in the car and they might have their, their younger sister, you know, and she, she might be six yeah. to eight sitting in the car or, you know, somebody, somebody you know, uh, somebody in their 30s has got their kid in their car um, or somebody in their 20s has got their kid in the car <laughs> and, they're, and they're a young female. I mean, what would you, what would you say to them? Uh, to, to the kid, sorry, or to yeah, the parent? To the, to the kid. To the kid. I think just that, just, you know... You can actually do anything, and it's not it's not uh, nerdy or um, not okay to to like maths, to like science, um, and yeah, just I think just really important to just realize that you know just because, and I think it is changing, but just because society stereotypes a young uh, girl, you know, that she has to be sort of feminine or she has to be. Um, 
a certain way doesn't mean you can also you can't also you know um, be you know an engineer or or do science and things like that. Um, I think really that that whole stereotype thing's just so you know it's not it's not only is it stereotyping that um, maybe girls can't be engineers or, or girls you know naturally aren't tending towards it but it's also stereotyping what a what a female engineer could be like you can still like dressing up and you can still be you know feminine and girly and and you know be an engineer or, or do maths or be a scientist or, or things like that i think what it really comes back to is that uh in previous generations there's, we've been in such a two-dimensional world where where things are on a linear spectrum where you're yeah. I, you're either the, you're either feminine or you're masculine you're either yeah. you're either into maths or you're into um, fashion design you're you're left yeah. brain or you're right brain you're this or you're that and we're coming to a stage where they, these don't exist anymore you know the mm. world the world is not three-dimensional it's fifty-dimensional it's mm. you know. Um, you know, um, there are a million different dimensions to it, and it's so complex that these linear models of 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 life just don't don't necessarily exist anymore. You can be both, and it's getting away yeah. from this either or mentality to this yes and um, yes. kind kind of thinking where you you can be. You know, this sounds so 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 frivolous these days because it's so true. But you can be feminine and a woman, like. Like there's just it's no there's no either or. Oh, I said feminine no. and a woman. I mean, I mean you can you can, be, you can be an engineer and a woman. You know, you can be feminine and yeah. an engineer. You can be masculine and feminine at the same time in different ways. Um, and, and you're not necessarily put. You don't need to be put into boxes. No, no, definitely. And actually, just I um, spoke a couple of weeks ago at uh, an engineer event. This is a sort of uh, young engineers um, society and another woman was there and she's about the same age as me and she's a construction uh, a structural engineer and um, she also has a fashion uh, business that she's just started up um, and that was really cool because I haven't sort of met someone who has started up a business and working at the same time and just the fact that she you know she loved clothes loved fashions and she's setting up this this business as well was like well you know you really can do anything you want you know yeah, I think that's really cool. Yeah. And uh, another trend we've kind of noticed um, with with young professionals is um, that we don't like to just do one thing. You know, we oh. want to we want to have our our career and be very successful at that. But we also want to start a, start our own business, or we want we want to have that career again and be very successful. But we also want to be part of one of the young professionals organisations and give in that way. And we also want to do. Um, you know, maybe be a, be an artist and also do this and that. Mm. Um, it's that there are so many options now that you've just got to go. Uh, my boss or, or Cody, who's been on the podcast before, my, and he's a, he's a good man of mine. He always says yeah. you just got to you've got to decide what you're going to do and go and just go hunting for it. You've just got to yeah. um, go go charging and try and make it happen. And if it doesn't work out, it hey, it didn't work out, but that's okay. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a metaphor that I try and try and live by, but I like to see life uh, as a book. And pretty much anything I do, um, I sort of like to think that when I'm when I'm 80, you know, I'm going to have this book of life, and I want it to be filled with like really cool stories, or you know, taking opportunities, or learning from things, and um, and I want to look back and be like, yeah, that, that was a good life, like lived well, cool stories, not <laughs> have this like boring like plain book which was just you know did everything by the rule or yeah, how I'll... you know it should be yeah, and I think that. 
you've always got to ask yourself, like, or I've always said to um, to, to people uh, and friends that I never want to look back and think, man, I could have done X, Y. Yeah. You know, I want to be like, well, I could have done that, but I did, uh, you know, there were always choices. You know, yes, I could have done that, but I chose to do this and that was awesome. Mm. But I don't want to just have think like, oh, I wonder if I, if I could have taken more risks. Like, I just no, don't think you can play yeah. life safe. No, I don't think so. And I think that's what our generation is understanding. Just, you know, you only have one life and you've got to live it properly. And, and the, you know, the, the way that our, our world is, if you don't, if you don't really do something, you know, hardcore, if you don't, you know, take an idea and then just roll with it and commit to things, um, you're just not going to go anywhere. And, you're not going to have those great experiences. The decision-making thing's quite interesting. I'm a chronic, terrible decision-maker. Like anyone who goes out for brunch or breakfast with me or anything that, you know, they ask if I've pre-looked at the menu because they don't want to be there for like 20 minutes. <laughs> um, but I, I often struggle with that, just the sheer like, and it's, a, I mean, it's a great position to be in to have um, opportunities, but just the sheer amount of decisions you can make and the different ways they're going to take you. But I went for a run, um, last weekend was sort of running around like past an old flat I've lived in and through the city and things like that. And I realized just the importance of how making one decision can change so many things. And it doesn't mean it's the right or the wrong decision. It's just a decision. And so much comes out from that. I was just sort of thinking in terms of um, moving to Christchurch and being here through the whole earthquake um, and how, how my life's sort of been shaped since then. And I think, um, Something struck me from when I was talking to my mum sort of last month and she was like, oh, I never thought you'd be in Christchurch that long. And and I was thinking about it and I was like, well, you know, I didn't decide to live through an earthquake. That's just what happened. And that meant that I wanted to stay and be part of the rebuild and things like that. And it's, I think it's quite a, a good way to look at it. Um, someone who struggles with decision making, it's, it's, there's no sort of right or wrong decision, but it'll just shape your life. Um, in, in different ways that you'll just never really know. And, and that kind of leads quite nicely back into something you mentioned earlier, which is that you'd only just started to realise how the earthquake and mm. the rebuild w had affected you. So I, if you don't mind me asking, how has it affected you uh, in retrospect? I think it's on a number of levels. I mean, last year I, I realised... The extent when we had sort of, I think it was a magnitude five earthquake, sort of February, and so just after that, I just every single time a door shut or, or a big truck went past or there was a loud noise, um, I just sort of get really, really upset. Um, and I didn't realise that that was sort of five years on. It was myself just reacting to that initial terror of there being something so unexpected. So that was definitely um, an actual um, sort of probably was more like an emotional outcome that you could actually um, sort of see. But in terms of just my whole life, I think, it's, it's, I think it has affected me quite a lot. And I think it has affected a lot of people um, in the city in different ways. Uh, it's definitely shaped my last six years, obviously. It's shaped the industry that I work in and the experiences that I've had. Uh, yeah, and I think it has made me sort of in a way, I realize just how you know anything can happen at any time, and it is a lot of a lot of us your attitude to when things happen. Like you can't help it, so that you can't worry about it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just that sort of 
can't see any of that. No, that's fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. And I think people do sort of brush aside this like mental aspect of it. It is sort of like New Zealand nature to, oh, no, she'll be right. We're all fine. And I think it was a little bit like that at university. Oh, no, you know, we're all fine. We'll just come back to uni, whatever. And then sort of years later, I'm thinking about it and, you know, got people who are nervous or um, anxiety problems or just small things that, you know, we're looking back and I'm like, wow, I think we, we all actually, you know, got more affected by than we thought. Hmm. You know, there's been so much, so much absolute gold, I think, in this podcast um, recording session this morning, everything from talking about generational differences to how to get through crises and, um, and you know, and just what, what that's like. Even I think your, your personal story has been pretty amazing about the, the, making the move, um, going through that, choosing to go back and choosing to stay. Um, it probably says a lot about, about resilience and uh, just, just going on when when you have to, but at the same time being aware that it it does cause quite quite long standing emotions, um, mm. you know, and and it has these long standing effects, and that and that comes back to what you were saying about how you're only realizing how it might have affected you now. Yeah, yeah, we've gone pretty deep, haven't we? Just thinking uh, back to my book of life metaphor, um, but yeah, no, I mean it's just yeah. And I, I feel like the way we've been talking about it has been negative because actually it's been, you know, it's been great. I think it has it's made me a resilient person. And I've, I've just met some amazing people. I feel like everyone, especially at a hall, I mean, no one actually, I think one person left my hall after the earthquake and we all just stuck together. And the, the time I went through at university, because there was no town, um, so, so the university events and everything, everyone relied on them for their social occasions. And it just, it really did create like a great, family feel and, and you know just ended up with such good friendships and things like that because you're all going through this together um and it really was that that year in my hall and I remember when people because I was as at college house for two years and, when, and the year below came and we just were like you just they just did, couldn't comprehend quite what we'd all been through together mm-hmm. even coming back yeah. to your story about getting 14 people in a small room to watch a movie the day it <laughs> it's happened not a good idea. you know <laughs> yeah but it, it comes back to that that idea that in in crises you tend to stick together yeah and that and that's you know and the earthquake happens and you and you begin clinging to somebody that you that you've only just met yeah yeah yeah. um, and we're great friends now actually awesome Uh, I, i kind of think that's what's great about gosh this is getting really deep um about humanity in general though is that you know in times when times get tough we come together to get through it. Yeah, definitely. It's just like um, designated survivor. I was I was watching oh. the final episode of that last night at about at about one a.m. Um, and oh, it was so good. There was oh, anybody who is listening to this needs to go and watch designated survivor because my it was family the best. is addicted to it. Oh, it's so. All, all my siblings and my parents they're addicted. It's so good. <laughs> I get so excited. Look, that's probably a great place to wrap up. Thank you so much for for coming on the New Zealand Young Professionals podcast, um, Michaela. Look, if anybody is wanting to track you down on line um how would they do that uh if they want to if they're interested in joining cyp i feel like i haven't even uh, managed to touch on it but we have a great um membership down here of over over 500 members and um uh, we love going to new new bars as they pop up we've got um social events and uh, business events um so if you're interested in that have a jump on um cyp.co.nz my emails are info at cyp.co.nz so flick me an email uh, if you want to get in touch about anything like that or just 
yeah, just to say hi. It's pretty cool. Fantastic. Yeah, I think um, Canterbury Young Professionals is doing some amazing things down down in Christchurch and throughout the region. Uh, and just encourage anybody who who is down there uh, to to get in touch with them. Uh, thank you for listening to the New Zealand Young Professionals podcast. As mentioned, I am your host, Ed McKnight. If you want to track me down personally, my email is ed at edmcknight.com. Uh, if you've enjoyed listening to the show today, uh, check us out at nzyoungprofessionalspodcast.com uh, or hit subscribe in your favourite podcast listening app. Until next time. The New Zealand Young Professionals Podcast, hosted by Ed McKnight and brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand.